Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and today we are talking about Judas and the Black Messiah and the murder of Fred Hampton. But first, let's catch up. I said it, and I'm going to start. Okay. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. It's okay. Um. So... I recently started watching from the first season the TV show Curb Your Enthusiasm created by Larry David about Larry David's life. And this is my first time watching it. I've seen a few episodes here and there. And I just, I know like lots of annoying like white women say this, but I feel a kinship with Larry David uh, (laughs) by watching it with my boyfriend. I did ask him like, who's the Larry and who's the Cheryl in our relationship? And he was quick to say that I am the Larry. (laughs) I think because Larry is deeply neurotic and just uh, like reads into social situations a lot in the same way that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, it makes me laugh out loud. It's that funny and that good. And uh, his worldview is just so twisted. And I watch every episode like clenching my hands because I know that Larry is going to make something terrible happen. Uh, that's just his nature. Um, (laughs) the other thing that I've been really grooving to this week is a new album by the singer songwriter, Cassandra Jenkins, um, which is called an overview on phenomenal nature. I got into it. I first heard the first single, I think called hard drive. And normally I hate when people speak in songs, you Mm -hmm. know, like when they're not singing, when they speak, I feel Mm -hmm. like Taylor Swift does it a lot. It really (laughs) creeps me out. But there's a song on this album where Cassandra Jenkins just, like, speaks the whole time. And it's really beautiful and, like, meditative to listen to. She's kind of telling a story about, like, interacting with strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, the It's just a pretty album. It kind of reminds me of the other albums I've been listening to, like Adrian Lenker's album. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, a good winter album. Feels like you're on a cold beach in winter, walking around. Um, really enjoying it and also reminds me of the movie that I watched last night, which is, uh, Nomadland directed by Chloe Zhao. Uh, it's on Hulu. I think Mm. it just came out on, um, the 19th, but really, really good. I knew that I was going to like it a lot. Um, it's a movie that just feels like pure pathos, like the whole time. It's just like one scene after another. That's almost like difficult to watch because Mm. of how, vulnerable the people in the film are it's about um this community of people over 60 who have become like transients and nomads either willingly or because of like the financial crisis of 2008 Mm -hmm. where their lives are just you know they they live in their RV or their car and they drive around the country going from seasonal positions such as like an Amazon workhouse or a beet farm or like other tourist attractions and Chloe Zhao um, is really interested in working with amateur actors like Mm. people who have never acted before or are in some way like portraying versions of themselves so a lot of the cast is are actual nomads um, especially three in supporting roles who you would not be able to tell like their performances are so good. It's amazing that it's their first time on screen. Wow. Um, you know, and I, I think like people might take that for granted, you know, if like you're playing a version of yourself, it's easy. But if you put a camera in front of me and mm-hmm. I was supposed to be a version of myself, I think I would be very like clammed up and mm-hmm. awkward about it. And uh, it's a sad movie. I was reading a profile on Chloe Zhao in Vulture where 
some people said that the movie is like apolitical because certain scenes take place in Amazon and they were actually allowed to film in an Amazon warehouse. Um, But I think it's just inherently political that it's about, you know, like this population of people who should be, you know, taken care of. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously like living a life on the road is a choice, but living a life where you kind of have to work until you die is, you know, isn't a choice. Um, It was sad. It bummed me out, but really good, really beautiful. And Mm -hmm. like a beautiful portrait of America. Wow. What are you into Ken's? That was a down note. (laughs) Uh, Mine are all like fun ones. So Um, the first thing is catastrophe, which is a show on Amazon prime. And it is about a, uh, it's Rob Delaney and Sharon Hogan. Hogan. Yeah, something. Hagen. Yeah, something like that. So it's terrible that I don't know. But Oops, yeah, it's it's one of those last names where like you switch one letter and it's like yeah, which is like every last name if you switch one letter, it's a different name. <laughs> but yeah, it's Sharon just Horgan. hard to remember. Horgan. Horgan. Yeah, we were close. Okay, I was gonna say that, but then I doubted myself. I shouldn't do that. Anyway. Mm-hmm. It's them as a couple in London. The premise is that Rob goes to London for work and Sharon gets pregnant. And it's like kind of a one night stand situation, but they decide to try and make it work. And he moves Mm -hmm. there and they fall in love and get married and have more kids. And it's like, I think like four years of their Mm -hmm. life together. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, they're a very... Um, it's very sweet to watch them be together because they're like not perfect. I think they're Mm -hmm. bad people in a lot of ways, (laughs) but it's nice to like watch them like still be there for each other and care about each other and their family. And Mm -hmm. they're, it's really funny (laughs) too. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the main thing. It's super funny. Uh, it's funny and sweet. And I cried a lot. (laughs) Me too. I love that. They, laugh at each other's jokes it feels mm-hmm. like almost like a like a reality and affirming thing in a tv show because like you sometimes yeah. watch comedies where someone says something that's so funny and then like the room doesn't react you know it's just for yeah. the audience but yeah. like, the jokes are just for each other you know yeah 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 it's it feels very like real couple mm-hmm. in that way yeah um they are i would not be able to like i know that so many people think rob delaney is like so hot but i and i like agree in certain ways, but I would like not be able to like be in the same room as either of those people because I would just be so scared because <laughs> they're Rob's so like, mean to each other yeah. too. Like, oh my gosh, he, he's like John Hamm on steroids. Yes, I feel like that's his physical appearance. That, right, that's the thing. Like, he doesn't look like a real person because he looks so much like a like a like his action figures. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh my gosh, his, his body is big. Yeah. You should watch, um, he has a stand-up special on Amazon too. It's very funny. Oh, okay, cool. Jackie. I will watch yeah. that. Um, the second thing I'm into is a webtoon comic called True Beauty. And it was recently turned into a K-drama that I haven't watched yet. But um, I'm reading the comic. And it's about a girl who was bullied a lot for having, like, bad skin and not, uh, like, just, like, she was, like, not cute, I guess. She had glasses, etc. And she, when she goes to a new high school, decides to, like, learn makeup and, like, completely transforms herself. So she has this sort of, like, dual, like, 
uh, persona where she at school is like fully made up she has like mm-hmm. a lot of friends and uh but then she uh when she's home she doesn't wear makeup and she's like a total goofball but this she sort of like develops this friendship with this guy who's so hot <laughs> okay <laughs> who has who she they she initially meets at a comic book store where she's not wearing makeup. So he knows what she looks like in both, and they go to the same school. So he knows mm. what she looks like in both, like Worlds. no makeup and yeah. makeup. And it's just so cute. <laughs> and it's the way that it's uh, written and illustrated is, is really just super funny too. Like there are moments where, like, there are just really good comedic moments where the characters mm. are drawn like super ugly and in a way that like some memes are drawn that way and Mm -hmm. i just think it's fun to have it be in a a comic that's about like makeup and stuff it's it's really fun and cute i'm excited to keep reading (laughs) and to watch the drama i wonder how it's gonna translate um and then the third thing I'm into is A Court of Silver Flames, which is the newest Sarah J. Mass book. And okay, I'm not a... Okay. If you listen to this, if you're a fan of the pod, you know that <laughs> I've talked about this series before. Um, but it's the newest book that just came out on Tuesday, and I finished it Friday night. And... Uh, Damn, girl! Dude, I like devoured it it is so good <laughs> it's about like sexy fairies basically yeah. just to like sum it up hot fairies <laughs> this one is about the sister of the main character of the last like oh. trilogy so in the last trilogy like i mean they're all sort of together but the last trilogy was like a court of thorns and roses is that what mm-hmm. that's what it was called and it was about this girl named Vera becomes a fairy has a lot of hot fairy sex it's good it's really good but her sister is named nesta and she's always like sort of mean and cold and she was the oldest sister but left like fera to do all the hard work and saving Mm. their family and everyone sort of resented nesta nesta was just like mean and terrible and then this book is about nesta the newest one and it's so good it's like you you like she does a really good job i think of showing like this character who just sort of like hates herself and is like punishing herself by pushing away everyone Mm -hmm. close to her and the like as someone who is also like going through a hard time i feel like reading a fun book about a woman like struggling Mm -hmm. to like better herself was just really like cathartic and also like kind of inspiring <laughs> and it was nice because it was like an easy read like an easy fun yeah. read about like a uh, a woman that was like struggling to get out of depression essentially which was mm-hmm. just like perfect and exactly what i needed to read right now and like literally saturday after i re- finished it i woke up and i was like i'm like motivated to do stuff and so it like really positively affected me yeah okay but was there hot fairy sex dude she ratcheted it up for this one she listened to the fans (laughs) and was like you want sex here you go it's the most in any book she's written it's the most sex it's crazy nessa is a hoe (laughs) but it's so good bridget love it 
I know it. that you don't want to read it, but maybe I'll give it another shot. Uh, maybe I'll send you like a screenshot or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Entice me. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the things I'm into. All dorky and fun. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay, I want to jump into our two movies. I think to preface, we're going to be kind of using the second film, the documentary, The Murder of Fred Hampton, um, kind of as a reference point um, to Judas and the Black Messiah. So the first film we're talking about is Judas and the Black Messiah, which just came out. So it's from 2021. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah centers around the true story of an FBI informant sent to infiltrate a chapter of the Black Panthers. In the late 1960s, law enforcement was concerned that the charismatic chairman of the Black Panthers, Fred Hampton, might be able to successfully lead a class and race revolution. Young criminal Bill O'Neill is coerced by the FBI into spying on Hampton and the Black Panthers. Um, so this just came out. It's on HBO Max. If you want to watch it, hit me up for my HBO Max password. <laughs> yeah, that is That's how... socialism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that you do that. We... I'll share your account. <laughs> Thank of you. Course. <laughs> of course. Um, I was really excited to see this movie. I feel like it had a really like electrifying trailer that came out um, a couple of months ago that really like highlighted like the amazing cast that's in this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have Daniel Kalua as um, Fred Hampton, Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill, um, Dominique Fishback as um, Deborah Johnson, who was she was also in The Hate You Give as one of the friends i think the you know how they uh the friend that the main character shares like a half brother with yeah that's dominique fishback okay um and also jesse plemons of friday night light fame friday night lights fame uh <laughs> love to see him grow his career he's gonna be in killers of the flower moon starring in killers of the flower moon by martin scorsese next so oh my god good for him yeah i know he was <laughs> he was promoted to the lead over leo leo has taken a supporting oh, wow. role yeah so jesse plemons is ascendant um but you know the whole the whole cast is amazing and it, daniel kalua is like amazing and everything yeah, he. I think his performance is the reason that this movie. I mm-hmm. would say that is like he does give like a magnetic performance. I think that he does do a really good job of like capturing mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you know, electrifying and, and like inspiring, motivating, like like speech giving that. Yeah, Hampton did in real life. Mm-hmm. Even though I do think that, like, I didn't know any of the history going into this movie Mm -hmm. and at the end when it said that he was only 21 when he was killed i was like pretty surprised because i because he because uh daniel cooley is so he's like 31 i think so i was just Mm -hmm. i think i am i would be i loved his performance but i would be interested in seeing how it would have been different if it had if they had been cast as the same age, mm-hmm. because O'Neill was also, I think he was twenty when uh, he was seventeen. Well, so when he got recruited, yeah, from oh, okay. yeah, but he was twenty when Hampton died. So it's like, mm. I don't know. I think that because and Lakeith Stanfield, who plays O'Neill, is I think twenty nine. So it just yeah. would have, I think, been a little more. Well, like, true to the mm-hmm. reality, but also, like, 
more shocking, I think. Yeah. In some ways. I think it would have benefited both of their stories. Mm -hmm. I think it would have made Hampton's charisma and his abilities as an organizer more pronounced. If you realize that this was, you know, a very young man Mm -hmm. who was commanding such a presence, commanding, you know, such a leadership role. And on the flip side of that, I think you would better understand how much O'Neill was being like coerced and how vulnerable he was, you know? Um, it's one thing, you know, to um, to be like a rat in a system, um, but he was, you know, being threatened with jail by the mm-hmm. FBI and like really forced to do this. Um, yeah. But at the same, that's not excusing any of his actions, obviously. Right. But I think if he was seventeen at the beginning of the film, that it yeah. would be kind of more sympathetic to understanding what he was yeah. going through. Yeah. Totally. I, I think I would have watched the movie differently if I had known at the beginning, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, this is a part of history I'm like woefully ignorant of. Right. I think by design, too. You know, we're mm-hmm. not taught about these stories. Um, the public school education we all receive kind of like begins and ends with Martin Luther King in right. terms of the civil rights era. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's all. The, and it's very sanitized, you mm-hmm. know. I think one of those things that comes to light often is that, you know, like we were all taught that Rosa Parks was tired and didn't want to give up her seat mm-hmm. and kind of like the story is robbed of like the organizational drive and intention that activists actually had. Um, so this is, this is just a story that um, I think is important to be told mm-hmm. uh, because so many people um, are unfamiliar with like the true intention and organizing power of the black Panthers um, it was striking to watch the scenes of the Black Panthers organizing on behalf of their neighborhoods and kind of like articulating these ideas that are very popular now, you right. know, like accessible health care, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like clinics and neighborhoods, you know, education, um, you know, like socialism um, in that way. And it was also striking to watch this movie directly before um, since I'm in Houston there was a big winter storm and a lot of people had their power and their uh, um, their water knocked out for several days. And the the state government kind of like left people to their own devices. They were really unprepared and kind of like the architect of the actual disaster, you know, like the grid failed. Yeah. But there was, you know, in the city I live in Houston, there was a mutual aid organization that raised, you know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars for people. And this mm-hmm. past week they have been organizing pickup sites for food, for water. They've dispersed thousands of dollars to Houston families. So it was interesting to watch this movie and then kind of, you know, like see these, the, the, these like foundational ideas, like in action still, you know, that like kind of like power, like power to the people, like the people are going to be there for each other when the government can't be or is actively hurting them, you know? Um, So it's just interesting. I do think, yeah, I, I think that a lot of the ideas in the movie seemed like a lot of people talked about how uh mm-hmm. like radical this movie was and i guess i didn't feel when i was watching it i didn't feel like it was mm. super radical but i think yeah. that is because i've just like accepted all of these ideas mm. as good ideas just mm-hmm. because it's like 2021 and like i'm on tiktok yeah. you know like yeah. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> but i do after like reading some reviews i was like you know actually it is pretty radical that this movie was made at least Mm -hmm. i think because 
I was trying to think of other movies that might have done something similar and I couldn't really think of any. So I think it is like a new it's at least new new ideas to like Hollywood, you know. Exactly. Um, and maybe yeah. that's also the reason why I didn't feel like it was as radical because it was I think probably like toned down i don't know or like it met it had to like meet hollywood's halfway yeah like something exactly exactly and that's something that uh the director shaka king talks about in some interviews too you know like basically getting you know uh fred hampton jr and his mother on board as consultants and kind of like understanding like you can't really make a movie about radicals in hollywood you know um right you know it's a movie about you know like socialism produced by warner brothers um, yeah. <laughs> but like like you said, um, Lawrence Ware writes in the New York Times in an article titled, Is This the Most Radical Film Ever Produced by Hollywood? That Hollywood has long told black stories from the perspective of white people. Think of Oscar-winning mm-hmm. dramas like The Blind Side, A White Adoptive Mother Comes to the Aid of a Black Football Player, The Help, A White Journalist Awakens to the Injustices Black Maids Face in the Civil Rights Era South, or Green Book, A White Chauffeur, Helps a Black Classical Pianist. Um, instead of exploring what black characters endured, these movies cater to white audiences, giving them lessons on how to better perform their whiteness while in proximity to blackness. And this movie mm-hmm. does not do that at all. Like, it... Um, Mm-hmm. The it's really centered on, you know, uh, black political power, you know, um, black oppression by, you know, like white supremacy and like black joy as well. Um, kind of without this like white gaze, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there is <laughs> Martin Sheen and Jesse Plemons uh, <laughs> in the movie. And I think like notably like this, like in a, in a, in a bygone era, like maybe this movie would have been about a white FBI agent, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. But it's not. And that's good. Um. And mm-hmm. but like you said, it is definitely, I think, like watered down a bit. And I have been reading like some um, socialists on Twitter kind of, you know, like expressing disappointment with the film that it doesn't mm-hmm. center Fred's politics more or even really dwell on some of the things that the Black Panthers were doing in various parts of the country. Um, Mm. And that's something else that Chaka King like really talks about in this interview with um, Julian Kimball and GQ, which is basically like the genesis of the idea for the movie was, I think he pitched it as like the departed within the black Panthers, you know, about like, a. I think it it benefited the movie to be so specific about what uh, it was about. It was about Mm. like Judas and the black Messiah. Mm. Like it was about, yeah like this betrayal but i also think that because it was split between the two both characters o'neill and hampton Mm. felt like they were fleshed out quite enough i think that for hampton there were few moments that that it, it was enough for me to feel like connected to him and like that he was like a real person mm-hmm. like because i think that um and a couple of those moments were like uh when he was with deborah johnson and she called him mm-hmm. like shy i was like oh that it was just super cute yeah. and like showed some vulnerability and i think was one of the moments where he did seem young you know he was probably mm-hmm. at that time like 18 or something when they yeah, met yeah uh at the start of the movie and um so I just thought that was really sweet, especially because he is such like a commanding presence in other in like almost every other scene. So I loved mm-hmm. that moment. And then 
I and I, I think because of Daniel Kaluuya's performance, like he he did have that like great magnetism to him. Mm-hmm. And even then, at the end, when he, just before he's murdered, he's sitting around with uh, all, all the people he works mm-hmm. with and they're all trying to come up with ways for him to like leave the country because mm-hmm. he's sent, going to be go go back to prison and he sort of stops them and it's like it's not about me it's about the people like let's talk mm-hmm. about the clinic that we're trying to yeah. set up mm-hmm. and i think that although it didn't get maybe as like political as as some of us would have wanted i think that the theme of like of you can't like you can kill a Mm -hmm. liberator but you can't kill liberty you can kill Mm -hmm. a freedom fighter but you can't kill freedom Mm -hmm. it's like i think in this movie and in the documentary the murder of fred hampton that's like a huge theme of his work i Mm -hmm. think and it is a big theme of the movie as well. Yeah. And I think that that is a moving idea. Definitely. And I, it's, it's like kind of like a difficult thing to quibble about, you know, like why isn't this movie a different movie? You know, <laughs> like if they, if they pitched it as the, you know, departed within the black Panthers, mm-hmm. it is like kind of silly to be like, well, I actually wish it was just about Fred Hampton's, you know, like work. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it does feel like if you're, if these movies are so um, rare, rarely produced by Hollywood like you want it to be so many things at once right you know? yeah if this is the first time I'm learning about the Rainbow Coalition coming together in mm-hmm. Chicago like I do want to see more of that and I yeah. want to see you know like like I felt like that could have been its own film um you know and like kind of was like one of the highlights of his you know like short-lived organizing career which is you know like no easy feat um and I think also Shaka King is like very transparent about kind of having to like pick and choose what got into the movie. And one thing he's very transparent about, uh, which is kind of frustrating, is he's asked in this GQ article, did anyone question you about there not being more women in the film? Or is that something you notice as you're making it? And he says, no, he thought about it. The movie, he says, the movie was, quote, leaning far more into the actual history of the chapter. But then he recognizes that actually the Illinois chapter was mostly women, you know, and that is not reflective. And that is not reflected in the movie at all. This quote is actually just so funny. Wait, let me. He said when answering it, he said the movie was leaning far more into the actual history of the chapter referring to Mm -hmm. there not being any woman in the movie. But then at the end of this long paragraph of him talking about it, he said, and that's not reflective of the actual history where most of the members in the Illinois chapter were women. But it's, it's just Mm -hmm. so, it's funny that he contradicts himself. So yeah, it is a shame because, you know, like even though I think some of the most charismatic and remembered figures from this era of history and, the civil rights movement are black men like like he said like the most people in this chapter were black women you know um right it's that, like how hard is it to just find more black women to put in the background of the scene like, like I know. you know what <laughs> it wouldn't have changed even the scenes very much no if, like your, your extras were mostly women yeah you know uh i it seems like kind of a silly thing um the, and then the main two women in the movie are deborah johnson who is real and you know um the mother of Fred Hampton Jr. and and Fred's partner. And then they create a composite character, Judy Harmon, who is like, she has a scene with Bill O'Neill in the car mm-hmm. and she's not real, which is also kind of like frustrating, you know, that they have like one real woman and she's 
the partner of Fred Hampton and then like a made up woman. Um, yeah. But Dominique Fishback is great in this role. I think she does a lot with what could have been like just the girlfriend role. And I hope that's because, you know, um, she was involved in the making of the film with her son. Mm-hmm. Uh, do do. Um, this is from the, uh, an article in the ringer called the fight and the trick to getting Judas and the black Messiah made by Lex Pryor. He writes in Deborah Fishback saw a chance to expose and expand the limitations of what is considered revolutionary, highlighting the varying forms of freedom fighting often available to women and partners carrying a child in a masculinized movement. A lot of times for the women in this medium, especially in the genre, we always have to prove ourselves in love. Fishback says, I wanted to make sure that we as an audience knew what, that he saw her worth outside of her physical even before she's a comrade just because of her existence because of who she is as a person and her essence and of the um i guess we can get to the ending later but um i was rewatching and i saw this scene where kind of like one of the pinnacle moments of the movie where fred is back from prison and he's giving this speech um where he's giving you know like i know how i'm gonna die i'm not gonna die Mm because i have a bad heart i'm not gonna die because i slip and fell like i'm gonna die fighting for this movement and Mm -hmm. the camera switches to um deborah's face and Mm -hmm. everyone is cheering and clapping and her face is just like kind of like still and worried you know because she's everyone's listening to this political leader and she's hearing the father of her unborn child say like i'm prepared Mm -hmm. to die you know we just see it's a very small moment but we see that conflict in her face you know like oh and she like like, wipes away a tear and mm -hmm. you're sort of it could be because she's like moved by this speech but you also Mm -hmm. know that it's because she's like afraid for the person that she loves Mm -hmm. definitely and what it means to raise a child like she does touch Mm -hmm. upon that like raising a child in a Mm -mm. i think she calls it like a war zone Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. just like in a dangerous environment, but I guess you could argue it would be dangerous no matter what. Mm-hmm. That's true. I was, um, rewatching and I also caught <laughs> a very quick little moment where before we know she's pregnant, we know she's pregnant cause she vomits in a scene. And that is like the oldest screenwriting <laughs> trick in the book. I think especially used by men. Like how do we signal to the audience? This woman is pregnant. She's going to randomly throw up. and then everyone's gonna get it it's like the signal for pregnancy it's kind of like how someone coughs into a handkerchief and there's blood yeah you were like oh they're gonna die yeah (laughs) yeah so but a great performance i hope she's in more stuff i hope she is getting the same accolades that um daniel and lakeith are getting in this in this movie as well yeah even though Um, i didn't love lakeith's performance i'll say i feel like you know what i didn't either i think that he added like goofy parts to it which i didn't like it just seemed almost like a goofy performance which i don't think fit well i don't know yeah i know he's his it's almost like his like signature thing is kind of being like a little twitchy you know or like Uh, yeah and i and i get that for this position like this uh performance Mm -hmm. you know and that he's i feel like he really wasn't given enough scenes with fred too you know yeah. he's in the background of a lot of scenes like kind of lurking around or the camera will go to him mm-hmm. but i'm i i didn't fully feel the stakes of the betrayal yeah um, yeah i don't think yeah i think and you know i think um angelica jade bastian points this out in her review that lakeith is overshadowed by the footage they use at the end of the film of the real o'neill you know oh yeah for sure um, yeah and when you see that you're like oh like this is the actual person and hearing him speak himself and his 
um, what he has to say about his role is so much more compelling than the performance. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It's almost a mistake sometimes to use archival footage because then the performances are just like, you know, overshadowed, I think. You know, if they had put in an archival footage of Fred Hampton, I think, like more prominently, I think you would have felt differently about Daniel's performance. Too, yeah, maybe. Know? I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt that way after watching the documentary, you know, I felt yeah. like we were saying, like, you realized how young he was, mm-hmm. how gifted he was at speaking. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so, too. Um, I did want to comment on this scene uh, <laughs> where Martin Sheen looks very silly as uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> he looks I a little like, oh, he's wearing he was, makeup, but yeah, it, he's yeah. Yeah. That like he's classic like a, biopic, like total yeah, transformation. Prosthetics. Of, yeah. yeah. Is like so hard to I know. Get I was behind. like, we know it's you, Martin Sheen. <laughs> yeah. But he has he has this scene with um the FBI agent played by Jesse Plemons where he's like trying to stoke fear in Jesse Plemons by basically implying that his infant daughter is going to be like have sex with a black man. Um and uh it's you know uh I thought the scene was a good example of how like white women and white womanhood is perceived as being so fragile and like weaponized to inspire fear in, in white men. Yeah. And as a weird connection reminded me of how in our last episode, Ryan, uh, what's his name? Fuck. Nicholas winding Refn was like, we needed Carrie Mulligan to be white. Oh yeah. She's a character you want to protect. <laughs> I was oh, like, that's yeah. white womanhood, you know? <laughs> um, gross. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a gross scene. Uh, it's, he even Jesse Plemons was like, "She's a, an infant, a baby." <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> it was gross. What? Yeah, I was just gonna say, I love that Jesse Plemons has like made a career now of playing these like very creepy uh, mm-hmm. men. <laughs> he has yeah. that face, I think, because his face is so like it could be perceived as so like childlike, almost. Yeah. Like cherubic, almost. Yeah, which is why I think it is like just added creepiness to it. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm sure he's a lovely person in real life. I mean, he seems so in love with Kirsten Dunst that I stand. Yeah, who wouldn't be though? Uh, true. Yeah, <laughs> man is lucky. <laughs> um, I do think that it was interesting how this the there's a part in the movie where the FBI is like, we have to murder. Fred Hampton, because if he goes back to prison, he'll just become like this martyr for the cause and like more mm, people yeah. like rally to him. Like Huey P. Newton. Yeah. And I think that now it's almost it almost feels like they made him into even more of like a mm. like they strengthen his like legacy, I guess, by killing him. Mm-hmm. Because now, like, like at least in decades later, it's like now we have this movie about him and everyone's learning about him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would have been true if he had gone to prison. They kind of like contradicted. They like shot themselves in the foot almost the FBI, which is sort of like satisfying, I guess, that. Yeah, definitely. They couldn't really. They didn't. Even though that they killed him, they didn't like kill the what he like stood for, I guess. And that's like mm-hmm. it's it's nice to that's like was his whole thing, <laughs> like yeah. that you can kill me, but you can't kill kill the idea or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the title of the movie, like Messiah yeah. or whatever. But the movie culminates with 
the betrayal that is implied in the title, which is Bill O'Neill, you know, kind of in like the really like more horrible than I could have imagined. He, you know, I, you would, I assume like before I was familiar with the story, like that he compromised him in some way, Mm -hmm. but he literally drugged him. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and so then when the cops raid the house, he is like unable to respond Mm because he's drugged out, um, which is really, really like horrifying. Um, and I was grateful that they did not film his actual death mm-hmm. and that we see it through Deborah Johnson's reaction. And yeah. uh, Dominique Fishback in that um, article in The Ringer says she spoke to Deborah uh, Johnson about it and she said she didn't cry. Fishback says she remembers the cops bringing Chairman Fred's body out and chanting Chairman Fred is dead and they were laughing and smiling. She wasn't going to give them the satisfaction. Uh, to let them see her shed a tear. I, I understood that. And that comes across um, in the scene, too. Mm-hmm. And also, I should note that... Um, oh, her uh, she, now, she, now, she now goes by uh, Akua Nijiri, not Deborah Johnson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the movie sort of ends with him getting murdered. And then I think we both watched the documentary, The Murder of Fred Hampton, mm-hmm. following this the the mm. Judas and the Black Messiah, and I think it, they go. They're really good, like accompaniment to each other, because I think mm-hmm. that the documentary, it for the first like half, it they're filming while the film they film the documentary while Fred is alive, and then mm-hmm. halfway through he's murdered, and they are. Um, like hours after he's murdered they go into the house and get a lot of uh footage of the evidence and a lot of that evidence is then used in the trial um Mm -hmm. and i think that for the first half you're able to compare a lot of the archival footage to the scenes that are Mm -hmm. fictionalized in judas which i think is just really like cool and interesting to see and it's it's amazing to see Hampton like actual actual footage of Hampton speak as well um and like you were saying it's like even more impactful than mm-hmm. the movie um and I think that especially the second half where it gets into like the documenting of the evidence of the murder scene mm-hmm. it feels like i feel like it's a good example of how like a documentary can be like actually like an act change or make a Mm -hmm. difference or something because it really was like part of that history like you're watching a a documentary so you're watching archival footage that is edited together in a way that is like supposed to influence how you think about a certain thing but i think that because it was so involved in like the trial and in like this movement basically of like this mm-hmm. is the actual these are like where the bullets were um etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i think that it feels like you're watching like the the i don't know just like an extension of the i don't know what i'm saying the, like the narrative film sure yeah. yeah and this like uh the documentary i think like in the second half like you mentioned really like picks up and becomes this like investigation Mm -hmm. and i thought um like the the early half where it's clips of fred were kind of like 
You know, just kind of like creating the portrait of Fred, mm-hmm. like showing him at these different points. And then the editing in the second half becomes really like strong. And it goes from these clips of Ed Hanneran, um, who's like the police commissioner, who fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. And it clips of him saying something and then clips of like a, a forensic footage almost, you mm-hmm. know, disproving what he's saying. And mm-hmm. it goes back and forth like pretty rapidly, yeah. um, which is really effective. Mm-hmm. And it was heartening to see or to hear like a journalist at the time kind of like asking him questions yeah. and grilling him you know like the one about the nail where he's like they're like he's like this is proof that they like the black panther shot back and people are like that's a fucking nail <laughs> in the wall <laughs> and it just yeah it's just such an indictment it's like the cops are fucking liars you know they yeah. broke into this house and they shot people who you know were just in a home yeah, minding their own business, you know, like they killed and, Fred Hampton, like when he executed fucking, him, like yeah, like, they executed him. He exactly. was like asleep in bed, and they just shot him. Yeah, like, insane. Yeah, in front of a pregnant woman, <sighs> yeah. you know, um, endangering her life as well. Mm-hmm. And Akua Najiri is in the documentary in um, mm-hmm. a scene where she is recounting her experience of the of Fred's execution, and she is bouncing fred hampton jr like on her knee the whole time while talking which i thought was really effective you know like Mm -hmm. you know she's recounting an experience that happened to her in her ninth months of pregnancy her baby's father shot dead and her she's there you know with her baby again um who's it just shows you how immediately the film was made too and like how quickly it was responding to the assassination right i think uh a quote from DVD talk, which I've never heard of before, by by a man named David Walker, that puts what I was oh, yeah. trying to say better. <laughs> said <laughs> that he uh, said this documentary is an important revolutionary documentary that served as a powerful weapon in the struggle for justice. So I think that pretty much sums up what I was trying to say, and that yeah. it feels he also and then someone else said in AV Club, Noel Murray said. It feels like an immersive experience preserved from another era, mm. which I think is what I was trying to say, too, that it feels like like, yes, it's a like film that is like edited in a certain way, but it does feel yeah. like immersive and that like it does feel mm. like real, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and like the lack of like almost like a narrative in the first half of the film really contributes to that, you know, mm-hmm. that it is just like this verite portrait of. Yeah, of Fred, mm-hmm. um, and you know, like crazy that they had access to the the crime scene so quickly afterwards, and like yeah. thank God they did because they provided so much right. pivotal evidence, yeah. like that, that just could not be argued with. Yeah, um, really crazy. And apparently, this is like not a very um, this is a little scene documentary, but it's available mm-hmm. online yeah. to watch on Vimeo for free. Um, it's an hour and a half long, and it is, I think, like a really. Um, important uh, important accompaniment to um judas and the black messiah especially if one of your main critiques of judas and the black messiah is that it doesn't show enough of like fred's work mm-hmm. um yeah and i do think that i think that well i think they were saying that it was hard to see for a long time because it was mm. like you had to buy it at, like on dvd and like yeah. hunt it down like it was like a really hard thing to find and it was like pretty expensive because of that but yeah that makes sense with streaming we do have one one star review for judas and the black messiah and here it is interesting but by no means great movie fell asleep towards end by no measure is this an all-time great movie by no means 
more of a documentary of the black cougars <laughs> it's funny because like the name is so wrong but it's also really not a documentary <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's like a crime drama it is it yeah is, yeah and just but also the black cougars is uh, very funny yeah the black cougars is really funny it's the only one star review on imdb which is also funny <laughs> well mackenzie what do you think of uh Black Judas and the Messiah, and what's your rating? Maybe, I, I think I'll rate it like a seven because mm-hmm. I like that I was able to like learn about this period of time and these people that I had like no prior knowledge of pretty much mm-hmm. um, and that mm-hmm. I, and that it like made me watch The Murder of Fred Hampton too, the documentary. Um, yeah. I feel like together they were like a really strong pairing and I, like I said, like Daniel Kaluuya's performance was really great. I think there were like a couple things that I wanted more of, but you know, that's fine. Hopefully we do get more of them in the future. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll go with a seven because I think it's a strong and unique drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Crime dramas aren't my favorite like genre to watch uh, mm-hmm. typically. You know, and it, like I mentioned, it is like kind of a stupid quibble to be like, I wish this movie was a different genre or like, I wish it was a different movie. Um, But as a crime drama, you know, I I felt that there were some kind of like glaring faults. I wish that the characters had kind of been like developed more Mm -hmm. um, and that the betrayal was kind of heightened um, Mm -hmm. or that we just like the character of O'Neill maybe was different differently portrayed yeah um so i'm gonna give it a, a six mm-hmm. i liked it a lot though um and like this is such a great cast that i would really watch i would watch them in anything um yeah but like you said also like you know it's just crazy that this is a part of american history that is so glossed over and sanitized um and i hope that there are more films um made about uh women in the black panther movement 100 percent. chick flicks is researched and written by bridget hovell and edited by mackenzie chapman many thanks to tim grief carlson for our music and our next episode will air on march 8th and we will be discussing yes god yes and saved quite a pivot (laughs) (laughs) um you can follow chick flicks on instagram and twitter at chick flicks pod and email us at chick flicks podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening